I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome, welcome. I am here with Shelly Lefko, and we literally met one minute ago, jumped on. We didn't do any preparation, but she was like, I got to tell you this story. And I was like, wait, 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 let's have it. Like, why don't you tell me during the podcast? Because I'd rather it be fresh. So here it goes. Tell me what you're about to tell me, and then I'll tell them about you. But I'm kind of really curious about this whole story that might be relevant to the podcast or might not. And we will find out. Well, even if it's not relevant, it's hilarious. Okay. So I just got a new accountant. And I was complaining that I paid an exorbitant amount of taxes last year. So we talked and we came up with a plan. So I forgot something and I texted him and I said, please don't, please don't forget to remind me when I, I was going to Vietnam on a business trip. And I said, please, please remind me when I get back from Vietnam that I want to become an S Corp. Uh-huh. And he writes back, how much do you want to charge? And I look at my phone and instead of writing S Corp, it came out escort. Oh, my escort. Because <laughs> oh I was like, wait, I don't understand. Okay, so how much do you want to charge? Wow, wow. <laughs> so how will this affect my taxes? So I said to him, listen, if I was going to be an escort, I would starve to death. <laughs> No, you're gorgeous. You would actually do very, very well. Not a plan. You know, it's, a, it's a second or third career and it's like a perfect time to become an escort. Well, that's funny. I'm glad you, I'm glad you told me now, because again, it would have been, it's hard to react a second time. You know, so now it's really, really live. Um, so those of you listening, let me tell you about Shelly Lefko. Um, and now, you know, her, her new, new business is going to be an escort business. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but she is the co-founder of the Lefko Institute, a San Francisco Bay area firm who's mission is to significantly improve the quality of life on the planet. Shelly has helped thousands of clients worldwide create their lives by ridding themselves of a wide variety of problems, including phobias, relationships that never seem to work, violence, procrastination, unwillingness to confront people, health and wellness issues, sexual dysfunction as well. Uh, Her clients have eliminated emotional patterns such as fear, hostility, shyness, anxiety, depression, worry, all these things, um, and a negative sense of themselves. So she's reached over 150,000 people worldwide and featured on the Today Show, Lisa, many other uh, outlets. And we can go on and on and on, but we're here. We actually want to talk a little bit about how your beliefs could be standing in in the way of you having financial success. And as a financial advisor, especially, because I know when I was a financial advisor, especially at the beginning, I struggled and I felt like a fraud. I felt like an imposter. And it's really hard, especially for women, 
who are financial advisors to feel like they're not financially successful. And when you're working and you want to work with these high net worth clients, then to feel like you're just not good enough because most of them might have more money than you. So um, help us with how, kind of tell us a little bit how you got into this and why it's so important. And then we'll jump into some of the goodies. Yeah. So thank you. That was a set perfect introduction. <laughs> you hit every pattern and you hit every belief. So that was, that was good. So um this, this story is that my husband uh, was on his, what he called an intellectual spiritual journey. And he was looking at why people know what to do and don't do it, or they know they shouldn't do something and they do it. So whether it's eat healthily, exercise, um, you know, uh, overspend, credit card debt, um, not ask for the amount of money that you know you're worth you think you're worth. Um, and why is it that people do these? And he was looking at his own life. In his life, things were supposed to turn out, Robin, and they just didn't. And he said, what is that? And he was on a plane going to California to actually pitch um, a client. And he started journaling. And at the end of the trip, he came up with this process, which and and the premise, and which is it is our beliefs about ourselves and life, most of which are unconscious, that totally determine our behavior, our emotions, and ultimately our reality. So people who believe life is hard have hard lives. Absolutely. Right? People who believe money is scarce and hard to get generally don't have it. And I always use the example, if I told you Bill Gates has that belief, would you believe me? And everybody says no. And I said, and you don't know Bill Gates, but you know what he believes because you can see his life, right? So he pitched the client, got the account. They were supposed to see five other people. They hired him on the spot. And it was great because the government of um, state of California was giving a million dollar grant to study self-esteem and to see how they could get people who are unemployed motivated to go to work. So they were looking for motivational speakers. And Morty said, no, it's not motivation, it's beliefs. And so we got the contract and we worked with these people. It was phenomenal experience. So the... So I want to start by saying a belief is a statement about reality that you hold as the truth, right? So it's not airy-fairy, wishy-washy. It's the truth. Uh And when you look at money, um, it's a fascinating, I think it's fascinating. Money is an inanimate object. Uh It has no power. And yet it is the thing my parents only fought about money. That's that's all they ever fought about. I think Morty and I only argued about money. You know, um, uh, we were very, very different. He was, he bet on the come, like let's throw money at something that may or may not happen. And I was a little more conservative. And so we clashed about that at the beginning. So, Our beliefs about money get in the way, but way bigger than that are our beliefs about ourselves. 
And you said it really well. I felt not good enough. You went to school, you have, you've learned, you're good at what you do, you're gorgeous, you're, you know, smart, and yet you feel not good enough. So, you know, we train people to do what I do, and we have courses and books and all that. But here's the thing. I work with people, and I will never give up my individual practice, because when someone eliminates their beliefs, the freedom, we just did a new website, and we have um, a chain, and the chain breaks, and a bird flies out of the, tr- the, the chain. And when I saw that, I said, yes, that's it, that's it, because that's what happens. The most common belief is I'm not good enough. Yeah. I, I've worked with five Harvard PhDs who have that belief. Right. They know they're not stupid. Right. You know, they, it was I'm stupid, not I'm not good enough. I'm right. stupid. Wow. So, so and, and there's a reason that our beliefs don't go away through 15 years of therapy, all kinds of self-help programs. Um, and why why they can go away. So let's let's do it if you're willing to share. I mean, I have so many negative beliefs. I'm sure we could just work on some. No. Um, but we all do, right? And I'm I'm very transparent and open and willing to be like hundred percent, you know, honest and authentic about where I am because I have I noticed this and I and myself and I just did this expansion retreat where it was all about like I know if I improve me, my business will improve. So as long as I keep working on me, my beliefs and how to better myself, whether it's health, but mostly mindset, but mindset, health, um, how I show up, just all of those things. I know like everything will just be easier. And it's not just business. It's like the stuff that I think is way harder than business, which is what I call mommying. Like the mommying stuff is like really stressful and hard for me. The business stuff is like, you know, has its stressful times. <laughs> um, and then, oh, she's pulling out a book. Parenting the Lefka way. Ooh, it's like a whole series of books. It's not watching this the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I feel like the mommying part is actually is a lot harder for me in some in some ways, even though I think I'm, you know, in some ways very good at it. But then there's there's always this voice in my head that's like making me feel like like that, like I'm really confident when the things I'm really confident about. But then the things that I haven't done yet, I'm not. And that's where yeah. that voice shows up. Like maybe I'm not good enough or smart enough. And I will say like that, you know, people see me as very confident and also I'm very authentic so they can see when I'm not. But it's it's also the more authentic you are, the more confident people actually see you as well, even though you're being extremely vulnerable. So it's like I'm, I'm willing to tell the truth. That's but right. yeah, so how, how can we like give me some tips and you can use me as a patient here or, or client <laughs> to like. Okay some of these beliefs. I mean, I could give you lots of tips, but your beliefs are in the way. So it's all about getting rid of beliefs. And I will tell you, you can have me back and I'll you, I don't know what percentage of your uh, listeners are parents, but your job as a parent is to facilitate your child in creating positive beliefs about themselves in life, period. So when you walk away from your child, just stop and ask yourself, what might they have concluded from this interaction? And if it's not a belief you want them to have, go back and clean it up and then arm yourself with the skills and tools. And we'll talk later about it. I will say like one thing I am proud of is because I am aware of that. And 
of course, you know, it's funny, my parents were just here and I, I was very aware of the language they're using around my kids because I, I said this in a, one of the other podcasts is just that my dad said, you know, my, my son took too many pieces of pizza and he's four and a half. And he's like, no, that's not right. Or that's wrong. And I'm like, you know, no, I don't need him to have this belief that taking too much pizza is wrong. I'm like, he's like, what do you want me to say? And I'm like, well, that's not okay. Or that's not considerate. Or why don't you leave some for the rest? Like there were a lot of other options, but noticing this because I'm working on, you know, noticing that I see everything as wrong, you know, things not working. And, and that's also my superpower, but I'm noticing it in my parents. And I wasn't saying it to them in a judgmental way. It's just like, I know I don't want to instill those beliefs. And, um, and then my parents are like, well, you know, what do you, so you're going to tell he can, you know, kill someone and, and like, that's okay. That's not wrong. And I'm like, I'm not saying you can never say right and wrong, but I don't need to shame my child. I am. Pizza. I am. You are. I tell parents, get rid of four words and you'll be a better parent. Wrong. Right? Wrong, bad, good. See, I was onto something and I haven't even onto something. They're judgments. You can say what you said, sweetheart, when you're with other people, you have to make sure everybody gets enough. And, you know, you're young, you haven't been taught to think like that. That's what mommies are for. So, of course, you didn't think like that because you haven't been taught yet. You're just young. And this is what life's about learning. Yeah, I love that. We, when we had um, an event, my, my FEM event, my high level program, and my son was there and he was like, not, we, we had a little happy hour thing. And, and he was like, not, he was being shy and he didn't really want to talk to anyone. I said, and, and he knows my COO Ash. So he's like, I want Ash to sit next to me. And I said, okay, go ask her to sit next to you. And he's like, yeah, but I'm scared. I'm like, that's okay. Like we're all scared of something. And so why don't we go ask her and we'll just tell her we're a little scared and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I said, why don't you go ask all the ladies what they're scared of? What are they afraid of? And so he went around, there were about 20 ladies there. He went around every single one next to me and he said, what are you afraid of? And then each of them said what they were afraid of. I'm afraid of crowds. Or I'm afraid of, you know, um, standing up for whatever, whatever it was. And he's like, I'm like, see, honey, like, you know, this is the, everyone has fears and it's okay to face your fears. Cause I said, what do you do with your fears? And he said, face your fears. So like one thing I think I, I don't always do it perfectly. I know that, but I'm very conscious about the beliefs and I really, at least when I'm not super stressed and doing things probably in a way that's not serving them, <laughs> sometimes the stress takes over. Right. Um, but when I'm more aware of that, I talk to them like they're adults. I have, you know, normal conversations. I want them to understand choices, those things, as opposed to in, a, in a, I'm in agreement with you, like of the right and wrong. So, yeah, that made me feel good kind of about my parenting. So, tell, so let me just say this, first of all. So beliefs like I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. I'm not important. Um, I don't know enough. Those are the kind of self-esteem beliefs. The beliefs about money can come from, most of our beliefs come from our early childhood, right? Self-esteem beliefs for sure. But you come into this world and you look at your parents and, you know, if they are super wealthy and generous, money's probably not going to be an issue in your life. Um, you conclude money's abundant or, you know, but if they're saying, oh God, I can't pay the bills and money's a struggle. And then you're going to have scarcity beliefs around money in certain religious uh, teachings. um, People are taught that, you know, money is the root of all evil and money, uh, you have to step on people to make money and you're selfish if you have money. So there are beliefs like that, right? 
And there's overspending, uh, there's hoarding, there's fear of investing, there's all kinds of patterns around money. But I promise that underneath all of these patterns are these beliefs. So give me a belief you want to get rid of, and I'll see. It has to be, can be too complex for the, for the. Um, Okay, good question. So I think like the one that I'm thinking a lot about lately and and is that I want to, I want to actually buy a, a, buy or merge or start an RAA, like an investment advisory firm not as an advisor myself, but like the, the, what I'm imagining is like either someone is, you know, a woman who's retired and she has a couple of women on her team. Like what I'm good at is helping them double, triple their revenue. So if I can take someone who wants to retire in the next five years and help them double that revenue and then exit, and I can have an exit and I can have a piece of the business. That's a fun game for me. And I'm missing that right now by doing all the coaching, which isn't recurring. And or I could actually create a women only firm where I can get, you know, women who either in my program or outside that come together and run this. So then again, if I help them each double or triple the revenue, we have an empire here, we can help more people. So that's the new thing that I want that I'm like now manifesting. Number one, believe it, it is like a self-esteem thing is, um, is the believe like I'm not capable of that, or that's like, there's too many things outside my level of, you know, comfort that seem too hard, that maybe it's not worth it. I don't know if I can do it, you know, those sort of things. Okay. Got it. So I'm going to see if I can get you to acknowledge the belief, because if everybody goes through this with us, you know, you could sit and watch, but if you go through it, you can get rid of a belief with Robin. Okay. I'm going to have you say two statements. Okay. So take a deep breath. No, three statements, actually. Say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm not capable. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I'm a monkey. I'm a monkey. Right. So obviously, I'm a monkey feels silly. Yes? Yes. Say it because you smiled. It felt silly. Yeah. yeah. Did the other three feel the same way or different? Different. Which one felt the worst? Um, I think the first one, I'm not good enough. Probably. Oh. Yeah. Because you reacted more to the last one, right? Um, I must not- you know why. Because when when I ask somebody to say a belief out loud and there's like a like a, a hesitation, oh, it's like it beliefs are just words. Right. And the reason they feel bad is because we believe them. Right. And I've had every belief that you just, you know, uh, said, of course. I already Um, forgot what the last one was. What was it again? I don't have what it takes. Because see, and I don't know if the pause was there, but I actually do feel like I have what it takes. And maybe that's not an unconscious belief, but I feel like I have what it takes because I'm the type of person that finds a way. Wait, but the minute you say I know I don't believe it because, and then you start digging up evidence. No, it's, I believe it because I believe it. It's just true. Right. So I probably need help with all three of those beliefs. One of the the things that you're going to see, Robin, as we go through this, it's so fascinating to me is we, you're going to see why evidence doesn't get rid of beliefs. 
And I'll tell you when we get to the place where that happens. Okay. So I'm not good enough. I don't think, and again, I worry about my credibility when I say this, but it's true. I have a client in Kuwait. I have a client in Syria. I have clients in every country imaginable. I don't remember anybody not having the belief I'm not good enough. (laughs) So let's work on that. Okay. So everybody listening, just say out loud, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Okay. Now, if it feels yucky, you have the belief. If you don't, you can work on any belief you have. Just answer the steps, the the questions that I'm going to ask. But I urge you to work on that belief because it's a big one. All right. You ready? Right. Okay. We're going to go back to your early childhood and we're going to look at where do you think that belief got formed? Where do you think it came from? And we're going to look at parents. So we'll just cut to the chase. Yeah, this, this episode I'll send to my folks and say, you did this. They're like, oh, well, I'm sorry that we messed everything up. I'm like, I turned out pretty well. Like, it's good. It's all good. Um, but I am working on that. I do, which isn't there. Okay. So um, you asked me, when did this come from? Um, Let me me just say something, because if your parents do listen, I want to say this. I tried to be the perfect mother. I mean, I know, you know, (laughs) and I wasn't. Nobody is. You can't be. It is the most challenging job you will ever have in your life. We do the best we can. We mean well, we love our kids and we can help what they conclude. So it's not your fault. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it's like we're all human and they did the best they can and they did great. I'm very right. happy with my upbringing. So um, I don't know if this is because I've worked on stuff before, but I will tell you there's one very clear memory um, that uh, I have as far as I'm not good enough is when I, I went to my dad and I said, asked him for help with math homework and I, I was not good at math. And he basically showed me something and he's like, here's how you do it. And I'm like, I don't understand. And he's like, well, I don't know how to help you any, any better than that. So I'm sorry. I don't, just don't have you. I don't know what else to say. And then, you know, felt folded his arms and just was very frustrated with me. And I'm like, you know, he. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It's very rare that a belief gets formed from one incident. It might be, but it's rare. So what else are there? And like, when you spilled something or dropped something or break broke something or didn't, what was the response? I don't remember a specific moment when something like that happened, but I would say, um, I mean, I have another specific story when I tried out like to, I tried to be in the gifted program. This is a very known story as I tell with my ladies, but as we, as we call the tripod story, but I went to, try to get into the gifted program. They asked me what a tripod was and I didn't know. And then when I went home, my mom said, how the test go? She said, you know, I said, well, I don't think I passed. I didn't know what certain words meant. And she said, like what? And I said, well, tripod, like I didn't know what a tripod was. My mom looked at me with three fingers on her hand. She goes, you don't know what a tripod is. Come on, Robin tripod three, you know? And so that was like, that was the belief I'm stupid. And then I got straight A's for the rest of my life because I had to prove that I wasn't right. So um, in general, I would say with my dad, my, I mean, my parents are very much like right and wrong, like just like they were when they were here. And especially growing up, it's like, that's not right. That's not right. So it's like, if I'm doing something and it's not right, then that means it's wrong. Or they would specifically say it's wrong. Okay. Now here's the thing. And I love that you are a parent. I'm sure parents are listening, but I want you to think about yourself right now, not your kids. 
So children come into this world and they want three things. Now, if I had time, I'd ask you and I'd get this out of you, but we don't. So I'm going to just tell you and you'll know it's true. They want affection, attention and acknowledgement. Okay. Now, what is the one word question every child asks all day long? What does your kid ask when you tell them, no, you can't? What do they want to know? Why? Why didn't I know what a tripod was? It was so simple. How old were you in that story? In 10. And why didn't I know what a tripod was? Why? Now, again, these beliefs are formed by six years, seven years old. Why am I struggling with math? Why is my father so frustrated with me? Why can't I get it? Why did I just do something wrong? Well, I guess I'm not good enough. Hmm. I guess I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. What else is a kid going to come up with? Right? The parents think they should know. They must be right. So does it make sense that any child would conclude I'm not good enough or I'm stupid? from those events and hundreds more all the time. And it could be anything if you're listening and doing this from an eye roll to a tisk to my father used to say, eh, you don't use your head. You know, my father loved me. He was a wonderful father. He adored me. You know, my mother did too much for me. That was my, I'm not capable, right? So when you look at your, and everybody listening, the events, it made sense to conclude I'm not good enough, okay? Now, we're going to play a game, and the game is called Valid Interpretations. And we're going to make believe that we're watching a video of your childhood, and we see these events and your parents' disappointment or, or you know, expressions uh, or what they said. Uh-huh. And we're going to make believe a whole bunch of people are watching. And you say, see, see, Auntie Shelley, I'm not good enough. Right. And I said, you know, Rob, that's not what I see. What's another interpretation that you couldn't see as a child that you could see now that would explain the fact that you didn't couldn't do that math or you didn't know what a tripod was other than and you did things wrong other than you're not good enough. Um, for my dad, I mean, it could have been, he just felt frustrated that he didn't know how to explain it. Frustrated with himself. Perfect. Very nice. So one interpretation is he was frustrated because he couldn't explain himself and maybe his, I'm not good enough was coming up because he couldn't teach you. Is that a valid interpretation? Yes. Had nothing to do with you. Right. Awesome. What's another interpretation? In that same instance. Um, Either that or all of them together. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I think also with my mom, I mean, I know this from that. She, she talks about this. Like she didn't, she felt like she was stupid. And so it was definitely like a projection of, you know, that, and she wants me to be a better version of her. And she said that my whole childhood, I want you to be a better version of me and you're much smarter than me. And you're, you know, like, cause she felt like she was inadequate. And so then she wanted me to be much feel adequate, but by making me feel inadequate unconsciously, you know? Perfect. So one interpretation is you were good enough. Your mother had beliefs that had her want you to be better than her 
And here's the thing, everyone. She wasn't a good teacher. When you, if you do my parenting course, you will not believe how you can say things so simply and so elegantly without making your kid feel stupid or wrong. And none of us were taught this because there isn't a pay at the time for sure. There weren't a lot of parenting courses, right? So she didn't know how to empower you, but that's all she was trying to do. Is that a valid interpretation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to give you one that's very, very, I'm going to give you two that are very important. Number one, do you ever meet a five-year-old who wants to sit still in a restaurant? No. No, five-year-olds don't want to sit still. But parents don't say to kids, honey, I know you want to run around the restaurant. You're full of energy. It's hard to sit still. But you can't because it disturbs people. Let's play a game at the table. And you play same and different or come up with a table game. Here's what they say. Get over here. Sit down. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? I'm five years old. I'm full of energy. But kids don't know how to say that. So they think there's something wrong with them. Here's my point. Parents have unrealistic expectations of children. I just did my dream workshop in Vietnam with 100 Asian parents. That's a culture that values success and straight A's and what do you mean you didn't get an A and all that. And I say to those parents, how many people excel at everything? Raise your hand. There's never a hand that goes up. But yet we expect our kids to get straight A's, do as they're told, speak, all that nonsense. Parents have unrealistic expectations of children, number one. Number two, traditional education, and I don't care if it's public school or private school, school teaches auditory learning, unless it's a progressive school like my kids went to. Mm -hmm. If you're not an auditory learner and you're not learning math the way they teach it, you're in a class with 20 kids or 30 kids and you're not getting the attention you need and you're not learning in your learning style. And it has nothing to do with you being smart or good enough. It has to do with the teaching. And how I know that is I sent my kids to an alternative school and it was not a school for special needs. It was people who wanted a different kind of education. And yet there were kids who struggled with math or science or this or that and flourished because there were no mistakes and failures. There were only outcomes. The kids weren't afraid of judgment. They weren't afraid of failure because there was no such thing. There was no report cards or grades. So they flourished in the same things they couldn't do in another school. So you. Uh, let me pause on that because I just want to make sure as, as we're doing this, it's relevant to them. And I, I that theme is actually coming up for me because I get a lot of women who come to me and they're at the traditional like 
broker dealer or RAA and they're being taught a certain way. And that's why I call this the woman's way versus that is like more the man's way, but it's not necessarily woman's man's really. It's just that they're using old archaic techniques that we as women, especially aren't necessarily aligned with. And then we sabotage because we're learning the wrong, like learning a different way that doesn't. But I I want to stay in the process now. I want to, because everybody's kind of like in there. Right. I'll be brief at the end. Go ahead. Yes. Perfect. So, And even if you weren't good enough by your parents' standards, even if that were true, which it's not, it doesn't mean you're not good enough. You would have been spectacular by mine. Yep. Right? So if there are other valid interpretations, is what you said, I'm not good enough, the truth, or simply one valid interpretation? Definitely. One valid interpretation. Great. That I don't know is even valid. Oh, well, it's valid because somebody watching the videotape could say, well, the kid's not good enough. It's valid. One interpretation. One interpretation. Now, here's the juice, everybody. This is why your beliefs don't go away any other way. Doesn't it seem like, Robin, as a child, you and everyone, you saw. I'm not good enough. I don't understand the question. (laughs) Okay. So if we were watching a video, doesn't it seem like you saw I'm not good enough? Like if I was there, I would have seen that as well. Okay. Right? Okay. Good. Did you ever really see I'm not good enough? Did I see it? Yes, ma'am. No. I made it up. Hold that thought. So if you're watching anything you could see, I'm holding up my water bottle. Anything you could see has a color, shape, and location. No, I couldn't see it. Right. So you can't see I'm not good enough. Right. Or it has to be an interpretation. I understand. Yeah. Wait, wait. I don't want you to understand. Okay. So you can't see I'm not good enough. You can't see I'm stupid. Right. What did you see? Saw my dad being frustrated with me and disappointed. So if I'm watching a video, I could see your dad looking frustrated. Now, we don't know what he was feeling, but it looks like he's frustrated. We could see you doing math. And him saying what he's saying, right? Like, why can't you get this? I also see you testing for the gifted program, not knowing what a tripod was, and your mother saying, try, try, Robin, tripod with her three fingers. I can see that. Yeah. You can also see them telling you you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. But you can't see wrong. Right. See, what I say to my the kids, it didn't work. Hitting doesn't work. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It just doesn't work to hit people. It hurts. It's consequences, right? Mm-hmm. So I could see your parents' responses to you not doing certain things that they expected. Yep. Where was I'm not good enough? In my head. Where was I'm stupid? In my head. 
awesome. So you jumped to that and that was very cool. You made it up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, now here's the last piece. I'm going to make a distinction. Okay, and you're all going to be thinking about this all night. Consequences versus meaning. So the consequences of not knowing what a tripod was maybe didn't get you into the gifted program. Sure. The consequences of your parents' behavior was you might not have felt good enough. You might have felt stupid. Yeah, there might be, you might have gotten punished or hit for those of you who are listening that did. I'm not minimizing the consequences, but I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it. Just think about it. What does it really mean that you didn't know what a tripod was, that you struggled with math the way you're learning in school? And your parents thought you did things wrong. What meaning, what does it mean that you didn't always live up to their expectations? Now, if you're in a room and somebody you know comes in, what might you automatically think? Anything, just make up anything, it doesn't matter. Um, they're coming to talk to me. Good. No, no, they don't speak to you. They come in the room and they don't speak to you. They walk past you and don't speak to you. What might you think? They're ignoring me. They don't like me. Good. Those are meanings. Right. Everybody who said they're rude, they didn't, they don't like me. I did something wrong. They're not friendly. Those are all meanings. Uh Where did that meaning come from? Where did those meanings come from? In my head. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Brilliant. Very good. Meaning is in your head, yes? Yeah. Meaning is in your head, in your mind. Yeah. Do events have inherent meaning? No. No. Very few people get it that fast, so I want to... I've done some work. This is Okay, good. We've never but but it's... Okay. I do believe in working on yourself. So there's this isn't my fault. So events have no inherent meaning. And mm-hmm. another way of saying that is we don't know anything for sure because something happens. Correct. My husband died. I miss him every day. He I it's horrible that he died. But it doesn't mean I'll never be happy again or I'll never love again or I'm gonna starve to death or you know. A lot of the meanings I gave when he died. I'm sorry. Yeah, the fact that he died has no inherent meaning. In fact, one of the meanings was, I don't know how to run a business. That was his job, not mine. And when I did this occurring process on it, and I looked at, oh, maybe I could step up and learn. And seven years later, we're doing okay. So, miraculously. (laughs) (laughs) nothing I ever wanted to do. So what does it mean that when you were little, you didn't always live up to your parents' expectations and didn't know what a tripod was and frustrated, dad got frustrated with you with math. What meaning does that have? Um, Could be that I learned. No, 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 no. What could not, it could be. What's the inherent meaning in the event? 
what is it that I choose it to mean or what do I think? No, no, neither. What meaning does it have? What is the inherent meaning in the events? Nothing. Nothing. I don't care if you failed every subject for the, for your listeners. The events have no inherent meaning. I don't know anything for sure because those things happen. But doesn't it seem like those events made you feel not good enough or feel stupid? Yes. Can events that have no meaning make you feel anything? Only if you decide to make it feel that way. So so listen, not I would say no, I'll prove it no. You're walking down the street. A man walks past you and it has no meaning. What are you going to feel? Nothing if it has no meaning. Got it. You give it the meaning he's dangerous. What are you going to feel? Scared. You give it the meaning he'll protect me. What are you going to feel? Protected. Safe. safe. Right. So can events that have no meaning make you feel anything? No, if they have no meaning, no. If you look in your checkbook and you have no money and it has no meaning, you'll have money next week, you're not going to feel anything. If you look in your checkbook and there's no money and you go, oh my God, I'm going to starve to death, you're going to feel stress. If you look and you say, I have no money, I better get on it fast, you're going to feel motivated. Mm-hmm. So all of our emotions, so, sorry. So what made you feel not good enough and stupid as a kid? Just the meaning I gave it. Beautiful. Now I want everybody to close your eyes, including you, Robin. And I want you to imagine Auntie Shelley is there. And I said to you, sweetheart, first of all, your good enoughness has nothing to do with whether you could do math or whether you could spell Try, know what a tripod is. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> you are good enough. You are whole and complete, and your parents are frustrated. And we give all those meanings that you said. My mom's, you know, in, feeling inadequate. My dad's frustrated, and has nothing to do with me. And you say I'm good enough. They have shitty parenting skills. And as you're giving the same events that meaning. Do you still feel not good enough? No. And if you didn't, then would you today? No. Awesome. Take a deep breath. Now I want you to be, I know you'll be honest. Say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Does it feel the same or different? I think it feels a little less real. Yeah. It's not okay. like hundred percent, but hundred. Okay. So I'm a hundred percent girl. So you went through this step a little fast and I want to make sure, cause this is the step where the belief goes away. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see I'm not good enough? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. So if you never saw it, where did it come from? My head. You made it up. Mm-hmm. But do you believe in Santa Claus? Nope. Tooth Fairy? Nope. Easter Bunny? Nope. Okay, good. Take a deep breath. 
say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. That feels more like I'm a monkey. Perfect. Say, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. Did you ever see that you were stupid? Nope. 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 Looking at a book you wrote, listening to you talk about building a business. Stupid people don't even have the ideas that you had. When I was listening, I was going, yes, yes. Those are yeses. So I'm like, you know, a good witch. So when somebody says something to me, I either get a yes or a no. That was such a yes. You know, especially that first one, love. So, so that's the process. Love it. Thank you. Magic, huh? Yeah. Jack Canfield said it worked like magic. That's awesome. That's awesome. And he knows Jack Canfield. He might think, might have thought he was a dummy, but he's no dummy, right? That's right. We were on a bus at the Transformational Leadership Council, and he says, so do it on me. Long time ago. I love that because... um, it's the most successful people in the world have these same beliefs, you know, and, and they're constantly working on improving because we know that personal growth is the path to business growth. And I just want to go back, you know, to remind everyone listening that the more you grow yourself, the more your business will grow. And we, it's easy for us to focus on the strategy and focus on all the things we have to do and all those things. But if you're, if you are bypassing the you part and focusing on how to become better and how you can get rid of these negative beliefs, then you are missing the boat when it comes to growing your business. So I have a fabulous two second story to tell you about that. So I just finished, thank you, God, (laughs) a book on entrepreneurship. In my wildest dreams, Robin, this is not the book I would have written, Entrepreneurship. I'm like, no. But somebody uh, uh, who's now a dear friend um, heard me speak um, at uh, A-Fest in, in Costa Rica. And he said, yes, beliefs. It's beliefs. That's why my clients don't listen to me. He owns a law firm, but he works with business people. So he said, let's write a book together. So we just wrote a book on the power of beliefs in entrepreneurship and how it gets in the way of entrepreneurship. But here's the thing. He is a serial entrepreneur. He owns a law firm. He owns an entertainment company, whatever. He was very successful. He was getting awards. He was making money. And he was miserable. He was empty. It wasn't juice in him at all. And he started doing, and he's from Russia. And he started, he's an angel. And he started doing personal growth work. And this is his story. And he said he looked at what makes him the most fulfilled. And it was being with his daughter, traveling, doing adventure things. He just did, oh, I can never remember the name of this race he did, but it's like intensely insane. He climbed Kilimanjaro. So he had to go back and set up his business in a way that it could run while he did all these wonderful other things. He keeps winning Inc.'s fastest growing 100 companies. Uh, He just won the something something award. I mean, and he said, but the difference is now he's fulfilled. And it's exactly what you said. He said, I didn't change my strategies. I changed myself. I kept growing. 
And because I was growing, my business flourished. So I just wanted to illuminate what you said. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was awesome and, and fun and, and great to experience. And I'm sure listeners got a lot out of it as well to experience it. And if you didn't do it, go back and do it because it's it's a cool process that it seems very simple. I won't say easy because I know, you know, it's probably your life's work here, but like to just go through that and start to recognize that and make it, you know, this meaning that you give it less and less real. And I know Tony Robbins says the only what is this quote? I'm also bad at quotes, but it's like the only reason you don't have something is because of the meaning you keep telling yourself as to why you don't have it. Something like yes, that. But here's the thing. Beliefs determine the meaning that you give events. So as opposed to keep changing the meaning, if you go back and you get rid of the belief and I know it looks easy, but it, it's you have to find the specific beliefs under the specific patterns. But the but the step that I want you to not overlook is you can't not believe something you think you saw. Mm. I saw money is scarce and hard to get. No, you saw your parents struggle over money, right? right. I saw my parents tell me. I had a guy who said, "I'm I want to start my own business. I'm scared to death," and I and and. I, I, something keeps stopping me. That's yeah. And his belief was uh, his father started a business and went bankrupt and his belief and his father said to him, having a job is safe. Being an entrepreneur is dangerous. So he had all those beliefs about being an entrepreneur. He got rid of them 10 years later. It's a true hand to God story. <laughs> 10 years later, he calls me. He said, Shelly, I built my business up to, and I forget the number, but it was something like 25 million or $30 million. And now I want to buy out my partner and something is stopping me. Will you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that works. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. Well, tell yeah. them how to find you. This is phenomenal. And your books and all that. Okay. So if you go to eliminatebeliefs.com, you can eliminate a belief for free. So of course I did it and you can use this, but that's uh, um, somebody will take you through, my husband will take you through the process on a video. So you can do that. Um, And um, other than that, it's Lefko Institute, L-E-F is in Frank, K-O-E, institute.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we will see the rest of you next week on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.